So it may start out as a, well, they refuse to do this or they wouldn't do that. It's about the child's behavior. But actually what that's really bringing up is some kind of fear in the parent, right? It's, well, if they don't know how to respond to authority, then people won't think that I am a good parent. You know, my, my own parents will think I'm a terrible parent. There's some, there's some kind of fear underlying whatever is the reason why this parent was having a hard time with this child. Um, and so I think it's it's important to address it from that perspective. Okay, we have this fear. Um, we need to acknowledge that. We need to, to navigate that thing itself. Maybe releasing some of that pressure to perform for our own parents is part of what we need to do to be in relationship with our children in a way that's actually aligned with our values. In terms of what you're actually doing in the moment, we tend to try to support people in the way we like to be supported. And pretty often that doesn't land for the other person. <laughs> so when our daughter is uh, refusing to do something and I'm in conversation with her, I actually want my husband to stay out of it because I, I know I've got it. I, I, there's some kind of challenge we're having between us. I know how to navigate it. We're not there yet, but I don't need him to step into that. Mm -hmm. When he's having a challenge with her, he wants me to step in and back him up. And if I don't step in and back him up, then he feels as though I'm taking her side. And so it's absolutely critical to have a conversation with our partner. How can I support you so that you feel as though you're getting what you need to be in a relationship with others in our family in the way that you want to be that's aligned with your values? Blissful parents out there, Michelle Abraham, your host today. I am so excited to bring you another amazing interview. Today, I'm speaking to guest expert Jen Lumenlon. And Jen, I just wanted to say hi before I introduce the audience to, to the rest of you. Hi, <laughs> How Michelle. Are you doing, Jen? Good to be here. Thanks so much for having me. It's awesome to be here. You're welcome. We're so excited to be here. You guys, we are so lucky to have Jen today. Let me tell you a little bit more about Jen. Jen holds an MS in psychology, child development, and a master's of education and hosts the Your Parenting Mojo podcast, which is a reference guide for parents of toddlers and preschoolers based on scientific research and principles of respectful parenting. So in each episode, I want to tell you a little bit about Jen's podcast, because I think you should go and listen to it if you have kids in the toddler and uh, preschooler age. But even if you don't, I've been listening to Jen's podcast. There are so many great things for us parents of school age kids too. So um, each episode, she examines a topic related to parenting and child development from all sides to help parents understand how to make decisions about raising their kids. So Jen lives in California with her husband and her daughter. And so she's in the trenches with us parents. <laughs> she is a parent herself. And I love the name of your podcast, Jen, Your Parenting Mojo. Take us to how you started. How, how did you come up with the parenting, your parenting mojo? I love it. Oh my goodness. I basically had everything I needed to start a podcast and didn't have a name. <laughs> and I knew that, I mean, the whole premise of it is using scientific research as a basis for making decisions about raising our children but also we kind of come at it with a sense of humor, right? We're, we're not taking ourselves too seriously. And so I wanted something that would balance out the seriousness of the research and I didn't give it super much thought, just pick something to get launched. <laughs> and in some ways it's been awesome and in other ways it's been haunting me ever since. <laughs> <laughs> it's not always the way. Well, I was in the opposite when I was launching my podcast, not the blissful parenting one, but another one. It took me almost four years to like, because I couldn't figure out what I wanted to call it. <laughs> you know, I'm glad I didn't let you from stop you from getting out there. Yeah. And what I love about your podcast, which is so different than a lot of the other podcasts out there is that your content's 
based on the research. You've got degrees in education and psychology. And so you do a lot of research before you present um, the information in a podcast. So share with us like what that looks like. Um, and why did you choose to, to do a podcast in this way? Because you could have gone the easy route and interviewing parents and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I know your podcast takes a lot of effort to produce. So share with yeah. us your, your behind the scenes on your podcast. Yeah, I basically started it to be the resource that I wished I already had in the world. You know, I I would get these emails when my daughter was an infant from a platform that I'm not going to name that would it would say, you know, the subject line, something like five ways to tell if your child has a developmental delay <laughs> and just clickbait designed to get you to click through to the email, to their website, to see all the ads. And it, mm, if they ever is. even, <laughs> yeah, if they ever even looked at a study, it would just be, well, what does one study say? You know, somebody's put out a press release and a writer has seen it. Okay. I'm going to write about this. And there was never any context. Like does, does this latest study confirm 20 years of previous research or is it completely out there by itself? I would just have no way of knowing. Um, I also had very little parenting instinct, <laughs> but I already knew I had really great research skills and I realized I could plug the holes in the parenting instinct with the research skills and that it all kind of came together in forming the podcast. And yeah, it's, it's not easy. It's, you know, 20 to 40 hours of research per episode, sometimes even more than that. Um, but what, what I put out there is something that, yes, it's grounded in what we know the research to, uh, what, what the research findings are, but increasingly what I've done is looked outside of the research and says, you know what, the research is really based in this highly individualistic culture that has a lot of elements about it that maybe we don't all agree with. <laughs> and so if that's the case, do we want to follow that research and those findings, or do we maybe want to pick a different direction? So um, that's something that's sort of come up more over the last couple of years that's, that's been really interesting, exciting to me. Yeah, that's amazing. And so parents, I think what you just gathered from what Jen just said, when you're looking on Google for how to solve a parenting problem or an issue, don't just go to Google and click one of those, you know, scary mommy things or whatever. <laughs> you want to go and get to uh, get the real content, the real research-based content. And uh, you can find that on Jen's podcast at um, your Parenting Mojo. So it's parentingmojo.com. And uh, make sure you head over there and check out her podcast. Plus, she's got tons of great resources on her website. Yes, I've been snooping around and checking it all out <laughs> and been learning some great things, which is awesome. So, what we're talking about today is like taming your triggers, not taming the triggers that your kids have, taming the triggers that us parents get when our kids have that behavior that we're like, oh gosh. <laughs> and why does it cause such a reaction in us? So, Jen, fill us in a little bit about like, do us. Like, what's the science behind, like, why do we get triggered when our kids are misbehaving? Yeah. So th this question actually uh, originated for me in a question from a parent. And that question was, when is my child going to grow out of doing these things that drive me up the wall? <laughs> And my initial answer was, I don't know, let me check on that. <laughs> and so the deeper I got into this, uh, and this is several years ago now, the, the more I realized that this, the origination of these feelings uh, where our child is doing something, they're making a mess, they're answering back, they're refusing to get in the car seat, whatever it is, we have some kind of big feeling. 
and uh, that can show up differently for different parents. Some parents are yellers, screamers. They, they're sort of the explosive kind, the sort of fight, you know, if you may have heard of fight or flight, um, and they're the immediate, you know, fight, even if it, even if it hasn't, isn't actually hitting, it might be thinking about hitting or throwing, something like that. Um, the flight uh, response is going to be, I'm, I'm just leaving. I'm out of here. <laughs> I can't cope with this. I'm walking away. Um, the, the freeze reaction where you just kind of stand there and you, you don't know what to do. You can't think, you can't do anything. You're just frozen. Um, and then a, a reaction that's been discovered more recently, the fawn reaction is something that we often see in, um, in parents who have experienced trauma in their lives. And uh, very often their response is to say, okay, well, let's, let's just make it stop, make it stop as fast as we can. Um, and so that when we're interacting with our children, that can take the form of, uh, you know, what, what can I do to stop you from crying right now? Okay. Yes, you can have the thing. No, you don't have to go in the car seat. We, we just won't go. <laughs> you don't have to take a bath. We, we'll just make the situation go away. Um, and so it can seem as though when we're having these reactions that, uh, okay, the thing to do is to change our child's behavior. Because if my child wasn't doing this thing, I wouldn't react in this way, right? I've, I've been around on the earth for a while. I was doing fine <laughs> before I had children. And now my child is here and pushing my buttons. And if they would just stop doing that, then I would be okay. And so there's this real tendency to see the problem as being our child's behavior. When what we're actually talking about here is what does our child's behavior bring up in us that is creating these big feelings? Interesting. I love the way you um, said the fawn. The fawn I've seen come up a lot of times where you just want to like fix the solution mm -hmm. at whatever cost, just stop it. And it's interesting because I've seen, you know, do you find that it's uh, if you, if your child's explosive behavior, then you're more likely the parents exploding in that um, fight uh, or rather than flight, or is it kind of, does it kind of match the behavior of the kids? And the interesting, does that come from them mirroring what you're doing? It can do. Um, if you think about uh, where does this come from in us, you know, where do these feelings come from in us? They they typically come from trauma that we've experienced as a child. Um, and so it's a coping mechanism, basically, that we, that we used when we were children to navigate what was an almost impossibly stressful situation. And so uh, a parent may have exploded at us. So maybe they're in full on fight mode. And maybe the reaction that we chose based partly on our temperament, based on our previous interactions with that person, based on the way we're being raised, is we're just going to hide. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to stay here and be as small as possible and hope that nobody sees me. And that's that's what I'm going to do. Or maybe based on our temperament, personality, you know, the, the relationship with that person, we're, we're going to try and make it okay. Um, you know, I've talked to parents who, who have had uh, parents, their own parents, who were in just bitter, bitter fights. And, and the, the parent who was then a five-year-old is bringing everybody cups of tea to try to try and make everybody feel better. You know, they're, they're in full on placate fawn mode. So I, I think uh, some, sometimes it can come from that mirroring where we see our parent doing something very often, particularly with the, the anger, we, we see that flowing downhill. So the, the parent is angry at the child and then the child takes it out on a younger sibling or on the dog. Um, so we, we do see those kinds of patterns coming up, but there's also interactions with the, the child's own temperament and the things they've learned and other ways they're in relationships in the family too. So do all of these feelings come from um, feelings of trauma that we've experienced in our lives then as parents? 
Not all of them. A good number of them do. Um, it, it's uh, I, I don't want to put numbers on it, but they, I, I would say a, a, a good percentage of them uh, happen to parents who have experienced some kind of trauma. And uh, psychologists distinguish between a couple different kinds of trauma. There's what they call big T trauma, mm-hmm. um, which is things like you know your parent was murdered, or you experienced abuse, or you know there was severe dysfunction in your family. Um, there's also what they call small T trauma, which is maybe things like your parents divorced and it was it was a difficult divorce. Uh, maybe you were bullied at school. And the kinds of things that often don't make the list, but I really think should be on the list, are the kinds of trauma that can often accompany poverty, um, the, the disruption in families uh, with the way that we are in the world right now. <laughs> We've decided that poverty is not something we're particularly in- interested in, in addressing. And it, it's not that these two are one-to-one, that if a family doesn't have a lot of money, that they're necessarily in a chaotic environment, but that the way that poverty is seen and is not addressed in our society makes it more likely that those things go together. So I think that that can be associated with trauma too. So that those are some of the big places that it tends to come from in parents. So here all as well, as parents are thinking that our kids are having some challenging behavior, we need to change the kids. But the deeper we look into it, it's actually not the kids' behavior we need to change. How do we even begin to <laughs> rip that band-aid off for us parents yeah. and to start taking a look at our own situations? Yeah, it's it's not easy. It's it's not easy. And so for the for the the chunk of parents who have experienced trauma, that's sort of one bucket of stuff. There's a whole bunch of other parents who are like, I, my childhood was fine as far as I know, you know, <laughs> it wasn't idyllic, but, but there was nothing I can point to that says, well, I really experienced trauma. Um, what I see is happening there is, is what I call the trauma of unmet needs because of the ways that our culture teaches us to interact with children. We were all, all of us were taught when we were children, your needs are not important. Your needs don't really matter. Um, my, my needs as a parent are more important than yours. And some of the ways that that can show up is, uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe as a child, I was really interested in art. And my parents said to me, you know what? Art's never going to pay the bills. <laughs> you need to do your homework. You need to get a real job. Well, you know, I had a need for some kind of self-expression there that is being squashed, that is not being met. Um, maybe we're, we were told if we're a male identifying child, don't be a sissy. Boys don't cry. It's not okay to express emotions. Maybe as a girl, we're told, uh, you know, you need to make sure that everybody's happy. <laughs> You're responsible for everybody else's feelings. And even if we're not, those words never came out of our person, our parents' mouth, that they taught us that, they trained us. And so what does that mean? That means I need to make sure everybody else's need is met before mine is attended to. And over time, what we, we lose track of even what our needs because we get so caught up in meeting everybody else's needs. And so when we're, um, when we're thinking about, okay, how do I navigate this, whether this is coming from a trauma-based background or not necessarily a trauma-based background, what we're trying to do is to, uh, to widen what we're calling our window of tolerance. So um, we are uh, putting in place sort of self-care practices early on, because when you're having a meltdown <laughs> at bedtime, <laughs> it's not about what's happening at bedtime. It's about all the ways your needs were not met throughout that day. And so if we can see that happening and widen that window of tolerance early in the day, 
then we're going to be much better resourced when we get to the end of the day and our child is having a hard time to respond to that child from a place that's aligned with our values rather than just reacting based on what my parents said to me when I answered back to them or refused to get in the bath or whatever it was that they're doing. Right. Interesting. And so if you maybe obviously those those homes that have two parents in them trying to navigate parenting in a similar in a similar way, how you know, and I, I can see <laughs> speaking from some experience in my own home recently, I can see how one parent doing things one way, like the fawn approach and the other one in fight. How do we navigate what actually needs to happen between the two parents first before the kids are involved? Because from what I see is that one, it's like throwing oil on the fire. <laughs> it ignites it even more. Then the other parents trying to calm down. And then it gets into this like whole thing. And then, it, and then it's the parents, stop, you stop. Like it's, yes. it's making it worse. And it just gets into this, like, doesn't seem to work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the primary thing to recognize in those kinds of situations is that the moment that it's happening is not the moment to address that. <laughs> But yes, it's it's just when everybody's already dysregulated, anything you're doing to try to address the parents' feelings in that moment is probably just going to increase the tension. Mm -hmm. So so in those kinds of situations, what we're going to try and do is get out of that situation in whatever way we most gracefully can, (laughs) which may not be very graceful in that moment. If we're not in that moment right now and we've had a moment recently, then we have an enormous opportunity. So we're going to wait until everybody is re-regulated again. That may be later that evening. It may be the following day. And then we're going to have a conversation with our partner and say something like, we had a hard time yesterday. (laughs) Would it be okay if we talk about that? Um, I noticed that when our child did X, that 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 seemed to really touch a nerve for you. Um, Can you tell me a bit about what was going on there? And so you're, you're looking to understand what was really happening in that from them. And, and so it may start out as a, well, they refuse to do this or they wouldn't do that. It's about the child's behavior, but actually what that's really bringing up is some kind of fear in the parent, right? It's well, if they don't know how to respond to authority, then people won't think that I am a good parent. You know, my, my own parents will think I'm a terrible parent. There's some, there's some kind of fear underlying whatever is the reason why this parent was having a hard time with this child. Um, and so I think it's it's important to address it from that perspective. Okay, we have this fear. Um, we need to acknowledge that. We need to to navigate that thing itself. Um, you know, if if it's about my parents are going to think I'm a terrible parent, well, maybe we decide we don't care as much about that, <laughs> right? Um, maybe maybe releasing some of that pressure to perform for our own parents is part of what we need to do to be in relationship with our children in a way that's actually aligned with our values. Um, depending on whatever the thing is that came up for them, it's going to be different in how it's navigated. In terms of what you're actually doing in the moment, we tend to try to support people in the way we like to be supported. And pretty often that doesn't land for the other person. (laughs) So when our daughter is uh, refusing to do something um, and I'm in conversation with her, I actually want my husband to stay out of it because I I know I've got it. There's some kind of challenge we're having between us. I know how to navigate it. We're not there yet, but I don't need him to step into that. Mm -hmm. When he's having a challenge with her, he wants me to step in and back him up. And if I don't step in and back him up, then he feels as though I'm taking her side. And so it's absolutely critical to have a conversation with our partner 
how can I support you in these moments? Do you want me to step in? Do you want me to step back? Do you want me to tag you out? Should we have a code word that says, I can see you're having a really hard time now. And I think I'm a little more regulated than you. And I got this. <laughs> and you can just take 10 minutes and walk away, You know, take a walk outside, whatever it is you need to do and get re-regulated and come back again. Mm-hmm. How can I support you so that you feel as though you're getting what you need to be in a relationship with others in our family in the way that you want to be that's aligned with your values? Mm, that was gold parents <laughs> listening I certainly felt that land very well mm. <laughs> thank you for that <laughs> um, and you know how if we as parents are working on regulating ourselves what are some suggestions to help our children regulate in those situations mm. I think a lot of this, more, more than we might expect, actually comes through modeling. So we can try teaching our children emotion regulation skills. You know, we can say, when you're having a hard time, take a deep breath. <laughs> but if they don't see us doing that in those hard times, like they see us, you know, the temp- temperature's rising, we're about to explode, and they don't see us taking a deep breath, and we just come out, first thing that comes out of our mouth, then it's almost not surprising that when they get into a tiff with a sibling or whoever it is or with us, uh, that they're not using that tool either because they don't see us using it. So they're, they're not retaining the lesson that we told them, take a deep breath. They're seeing what they see. So I think a really important part of it is to to use these tools ourselves so that when we feel the temperature rising, that we take that moment. It's sort of, it's creating a moment to pause um, through a number of different tools. It could be taking a deep breath. It could be saying, I'm super frustrated right now. (laughs) A lot of parents I, I work with really like to use a trick of keeping a hair tie on one hand. And then when they feel things coming up, they transition the hair tie from one wrist to the other. And the physical presence of the hair tie is a reminder to do that. And the time that it takes to make that transition gives them the pause to say, I'm taking a deep breath. (laughs) Now I'm going to say how I'm feeling. And now I'm going to choose how I'm going to respond to my child based on my values, not based on the conditioning that has come down to me through my family of origin, through the way I've learned to be in relationships with my spouse and other people around me. So uh, really working on creating that pause, which in the beginning might just be so tiny that it feels like there's nothing I can do with that. It's so small. <laughs> There's nothing there. Yeah. <laughs> but the more you focus on it without self-flagellating, you know, without, uh, oh, I, I messed it up again. I am never going to do this. I can never do this right. If you can bring this attitude of self-compassion, I'm working on this. I'm going to get another opportunity again tomorrow. I'm going to work on widening that pause so that I can choose how I'm going to respond to my child. And that's not going to be by snapping at them, by doing whatever it is I've been doing, which I learned as a defensive mechanism for myself. Interesting. Love it. That's a really great tool to use. Um, And my question to you is when we have, uh, we have been raised in a different way by our parents and shown, you know, kids must be not heard or seen or, you know, those kind of things, all those things that came from our um, raising of being raised and, and then two adults, in a relationship that have been raised two different ways as well. Um, How do we, um, I guess, how do we kind of uncondition those, those things (laughs) in us and, and, and be grounded with the way, like things are so different now than Mm -hmm. they were back then. And then things are also so different now, a couple of years, than a couple of years ago. So 
things are changing so quickly. So how do we kind of navigate what's, what's the, the best approach these days? I don't know that there's a best approach. I think the way I think of it is this is the challenge of our lives. <laughs> um, and it sucks that we have to do this. It sucks that we have to, basically what we're doing is reparenting ourselves. We're trying to give ourselves the care and attention and meeting our needs that never happened for us as children. In an ideal world, we would have been seen for who we were. Our parents would have would have acknowledged us and held us and understood us for, for who we were in our whole selves. Even the parts of us that were difficult to be around, difficult to love, we would have felt accepted and we didn't. And as a result of that, we're having to reparent ourselves at the same time as we are trying to be in relationship differently with our partners that we have this long history with, that we've been you know, interacting with them in a certain way for a long time, as well as our children, that we have these sort of you know, values and goals and, and great visions for, <laughs> for where they're going in life. So I just want to say, this is why it is hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and surrounding all of this, we have everything in our culture basically saying, keep doing it the way you've always been doing it. Don't show that you need help. Don't uh, don't acknowledge that you're struggling. It, it just keep this veneer of uh, I've got it. It's fine. Everything's under control. If you're paddling 300,000 miles a minute underneath the water surface, that's fine. Just don't reflect anything other than a calm, serene presence above. Um, and so the the media we consume, the TV we watch, the interactions we have with our parents, we're in if we're in public groups with other parents, very often the message we're getting is everything's okay. If there's a problem, the problem is with you and you need to fix it. Um, and, and, and that is such a difficult way of being in the world. So this is why it is hard. Um, so in, in terms of what to do about it, it's in a way I I can imagine this must be extremely frustrating to hear, but it's, it's the work of our lives Mm -hmm. is figuring out how are we going to be in relationship differently with other people in a way that feels true and right and good to us and to them. And that has to be the work of our lives because of all this conditioning that we have had up to this point and that we continue to have pushing us down throughout our lives now. So, um, so that's really, I mean, the, the, the pause is something you can use in those difficult moments, Mm -hmm. but what it allows you to do is to, to, to reground yourself to, to say, okay, yes, I, I was super triggered by that. And because of something my father used to say to me when I was a kid and, Okay, <laughs> let me bring that down a little bit and I'm going to reconnect with what's here. I'm going to maybe use a technique like touching a flat surface or some soft fabric, or I'm going to look for everything in the room that's purple. Um, so, you know, so many techniques we can use to connect with our senses that get us out of all those stories about how we can't cope and how things are terrible. Back into the present moment. Okay, I'm here. Now, I have a need here. What is that need? Let me try and understand what that need is. This other person that I'm in relationship with has a need as well. Maybe they're trying to understand it. Maybe they're not sure what it is yet. Maybe I can help them try and understand it so that I, because I love them and I want them to have their need met. And also I want to have my need met. And so how can we go about meeting both of our needs in this interaction? I mean, that that's what we're going for, right? That we we want to have our needs met as people and we want to meet the needs of the people that we love. Um, and, and so that is ultimately the work, 
that we are doing what we're what we're working towards and being in relationships with people uh, that we care about in a way that does that for them on a regular basis. And then we don't feel triggered all the time anymore <laughs> because our needs are getting met regularly. Awesome. And I imagine there's some parents right now that are thinking, yeah, I'm totally on board with doing it that, but how do I get the my spouse on board with doing doing that work and being engaged in that work? <laughs> That's a whole other, whole other podcast episode, by the way. (laughs) Yes. With deep connections to patriarchy and what we train men to, you know, what is their role in the world and that they're not allowed to show feelings, anything other than anger. And yes, there, we we could do an entire other episode on that topic. Um, I would say to start with, um, a good place to start would be understanding your own needs. What is it that I really need here? Um, and and a, a key distinction I like to make is between needs and strategies. So we, we often think of a strategy to meet a need as the, the actual need itself. So I might think, oh, I, I really need a bath today, or I need half an hour on the couch to read a book, or whatever our thing is. Those are all actually strategies to meet needs of self-care time, or uh, maybe I have a need for connection with another person, or maybe I have a need to uh, to to matter in the world. Like, like that's a need I meet right now to to uh to know that my work matters to other people and to have that be something that makes a difference in families lives right that i'm meeting that need right now um so so how can i acknowledge those needs and then what are the different strategies i could use to meet that need being here talking with you is one way to meet that need writing a blog post would be another way producing a podcast would be another way um having a conversation with somebody could be another way there are so many different ways we can use to meet needs uh half an hour with a book on the couch taking a bath going for a walk getting some exercise doing some yoga even if it's yoga with the kids around um let's let's get super creative about how we can use different strategies to meet our underlying needs, bring a sense more that our needs are being met and then kind of involve our partner in what's going on. <laughs> like I, I'm trying really hard here to meet my needs and I see that you have your needs too. And if, if you would tell me, if you would help me understand what some of them are, then I, I will do everything that I can to help you meet your needs as well. So we can be in this relationship together in a way that 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 is healing and nurturing and comforting to us both. But you can't do it before they're ready. You can't you can't drag somebody through this. <laughs> they have to do it willingly. And just as with modeling to our children, like you know, modeling emotion regulation to our children, sometimes modeling to a partner uh, can be a useful way of of sort of drawing them a little bit along this journey with you. Mm, I love that. And one of the other. Um stressors I think in some families is that we live in other multi-generational environments or we're in multi-generational environments so uh, what's a great uh, way to a good strategy to navigate the the well that's not how it should be done <laughs> you don't you guys are terrible parents you don't let them explode like that they go yeah. to their room like <laughs> yeah I'm sure I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one that's experienced that <laughs> no for sure and um and, and of course that brings up so much for us right that that can be so triggering for us because we feel that judgment from that other person and we feel all the echoes of all the ways that my parent disapproved of me through the years uh, and lo and behold I'm a parent now and they still disapprove of how I'm doing this right so <laughs> this is not just this little isolated comment that the parent is making this is uh triggering for us and bringing back all of that trauma in all the ways that they have squashed our needs throughout our lives even if they were genuinely doing the very 
very best that they could. And by objective standards, they were good parents that that's still coming up for us here in that moment. And so I think it's really important to acknowledge that, that that we are bringing something to this interaction. Um, another important piece is that the par- our parent is bringing something through this as well. Just as we were talking about with our spouse showing up in a difficult moment in, in a way that is, is adding fuel to the fire, you know, that, that this is not about the child's behavior. This is about some fear that they have or some unaddressed issue that they have that is causing them to react in this way. The same is true for our parent, right? So, so what's happening when, when our parent is saying, I can't believe you let your kids talk to you like that. Well, they're saying, I'm I'm afraid that your child is not going to be successful in this world if they don't understand how to talk with people and they don't understand how to respect other people's feelings, right? Um, and so we may be able to hear that and say, oh, you know what? You're right. Actually, um, I'm I'm worried about the same thing too. And maybe I need to do something differently. Or maybe we might say, I can see that you have that concern. And I'm so grateful that you are uh, so invested in your grandchild and that you love them so much that you want them to be successful in the world. We see that concern and we have decided to handle it in a different way. (laughs) And we believe that uh, through showing their true feelings, our child will feel accepted. And through doing that, they will feel whole and right in the world. And that that will lead to genuine emotion regulation, not just stuffing down of their feelings. Um, so if, if our parent is open to that kind of conversation one-on-one, we could have that. It may be something we need to do via email afterwards. If we are, you know, the feelings are just too high, we're not able to do it. Um, and, and ultimately then sort of just releasing the idea that we have to be attached to producing a child with a certain outcome to meet our parents' expectations (laughs) and just saying, I see you, I I see you have this thing going on and, and I acknowledge that. And that is not my thing. It's not my thing to navigate. My thing to navigate is my relationship with my child here. And to the extent that I can, I'm going to make you help, help you to feel comfortable in that. But ultimately my relationship with my child is, is what's, what's most important to me right now. Um, And, and so owning where that is and, uh, and being willing to potentially set a boundary and say, you know, I, I, I would appreciate it if you wouldn't comment on certain, you know, if, if it child rearing practices in general, or when my <laughs> child's having an explosion or <laughs> whatever it is that feels right to you. Um, if, and, and boundaries could be a, an entire other episode as well, because we're, we're <laughs> so pretty many. terrible at setting those because we were trained not to set them <laughs> by our parents when we were young. So then setting them with our parents now becomes doubly difficult. Right. Yeah. Or our spouse's parents yes. too. Like that's a whole other dynamic, like raised yeah. differently. You were raised differently than they raise their, their kids. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. There's just so many different like external factors. And this is why it's hard. (laughs) Yeah. So parents no, you're not alone out of there. (laughs) We're all going through this hard time. And it's uh, a best thing for us to do is I, from what I've gathered from you today, Jen is really just take a look at what our needs are. What do we need to be met? What needs to be met? How can we help ourselves feel so much better so we can they're very much I think I love I love how all these conversations on muscle parenting I'll come back to you the mom how are you feeling the parent how are you feeling and how you can uh, make yourself feel so much better to be able to regulate yourself when these things 
go on because <laughs> yeah. they're going to go on no matter how great of a parent you are. This is all life and learning, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and you've, you've nailed it. That That is it. That understanding our needs and understanding other people's needs and working together to meet those is it. <laughs> that That is uh, what helps us to feel whole as people. It's what helps the other person to feel whole as a person. And when we feel whole and respected and uh, in right relationship with others, then we're not, you know, it's, it's not like fights never happen. It's just that when we disagree about something, we know that we have the tools to get what's really underneath that. <laughs> okay. You, you, you seem like you want this. I want this. My need is actually this and your need is this. Okay. Can we work together to meet both of those needs? Most of the time we probably can. And, and that's what we can do when, uh, when we focus on things at the level of needs rather than, you know, your the way you're trying to meet your need is conflicting the way with the way I'm trying to meet my need. And there's no other way to get out of this. Whose needs more important, right? Exactly. Yes. Oh, that's, that's the death knell <laughs> for sure. Oh my goodness. This is so great. Thank you so much, Jen. This has been really helpful. I think so many of our parents have gotten tons out of this as I have as well. Where can we find out more information about working with you? I know you have a program. Uh, tell us all about it. Yeah. So, uh, so you can find all the information on the podcast and all of the free resources that I produce at yourparentingmojo.com. Um, the Taming Your Triggers uh, workshop is a, a 10-week workshop where parents get support in really going deep on understanding where do my triggers come from um, and beginning to heal from those. Um, and then secondly, learning these new tools. You know, you, you may be just now hearing about needs, ne- needs, wait, <laughs> needs and strategies. I don't understand how it tells the difference. Forgot about how those. Can, <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> how can how can I understand my needs earlier in the day? Uh, what how how can I even know my child isn't talking yet or they won't talk to me, right? They if, if your child's on the older side, they won't tell me what their needs are. How can I understand that? Um, so so really uh going much, much deeper on uh the, the healing aspect and also the new tools aspect. And so that program is called Taming Your Triggers. It runs twice a year in the spring and fall in the northern hemisphere, and I guess the same in the southern hemisphere too. <laughs> Um, and so I think you're going to have information about how to access that on your uh, podcast show notes page. Perfect. Yes. And we'll put a link below it in the Facebook live too. Uh, thank you so much, Jen, for being with us today. It has been awesome. Parents, make sure you go check out your parenting mojo. Um, dot com is her website and the podcast uh, so much packed with so much great. Like she said, 20 to 30 hours of research in each episode. You guys don't Google it. <laughs> your parenting mojo.com. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Jen, for being with us. Today. Blissful parents go out there. Have a fabulous day. Any last thing you want to leave us with Jen today? Thank you so much, Michelle. That's been amazing to talk with you. And yeah, I think if if parents take out of this, um, this is not my fault. (laughs) It is not my fault how this has shown up in me. And yet... I, I can take responsibility for that. And I can, there are things that I can do to show up differently in this relationship that don't require me to change somebody else's behavior because nobody likes to have their behavior changed. <laughs> then um, then that I think that's a, a super important thing to, to take out of it. And that really, ultimately, it comes down to needs and, and how do we get our needs met as people and how do we help other people to meet their needs? And so that's the work of my life in my personal relationships and, and also the work of my professional life as well. So I'm so grateful to have had the opportunity to chat with you about it today. I love it. Thank you so much, Jen. Take care. And it's been so great. We'll have to have you back again because I think we created another three episodes there. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) That's all right. All right. Take care. Thanks so much, guys. Bye. Have a great week. Bye.
Thank you for listening to the Blissful Parent Podcast. For complete transcriptions of this show, as well as helpful links to resources mentioned in this episode, please visit our website at theblissfulparent.com.